My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And my name is Merrick Egbert. This is the official podcast of the Elsewhere Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not on the podcast, I'm a research psychologist. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like glue. I am also autistic. This is our eighth episode, Season of Thanks. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. But first, some news and updates about our foundation. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And it is a good time to reflect and give back to a community that you're so thankful for. Visit our website to see many ways to support the foundation, whether through t-shirts, wish lists, donations. Now on to the other news and updates. We have two new employees who have joined us, Peter Kirkham, our new facilities manager, and Carly Kent, our new job coach. We can't wait to pick their minds in future podcast episodes. We also had a successful family fun night on Friday, November the 20th by our very own rec coordinator, Kelly Coots, titled, We've Got the Beat, where individuals got to make their own shakers and got to see Trolls World Tour. For this episode, I think it would I think it, that it would be good for the both of us to say what we are thankful for, starting with me. I'm thankful for a foundation that has given me work. I'm thankful for my parents for allowing me life. And I'm thankful for having an interest in the world around me. Now, Nate, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for having a good friend like Merrick. I'm thankful for my family, my parents, my wife, Jen. And last but not least, I'm thankful for a good sweet potato pie. All right. As mentioned prior, this month's theme is about the season of thanks. And it was thought that the best person to interview regarding the reasons to give to us would have to be Liesl Ells, Ben's mother, and Ernie's wife, Liesl. Like all great leaders has had her eye on the ball from the very beginning. And it is with her wisdom, knowledge, and curiosity that we have selected her for this episode. To start off, Nate will ask a few questions and I'll ask the rest. Liesl, first of all, thank you for joining the podcast. And I must say, we're very excited to have the chance to interview you. Also, I think it's a really fitting episode for the interview, given that we're talking about Giving Tuesday and we're all extremely thankful for the contributions that you and your family have made to starting this organization. So I wanna start off by asking you, what was the driving force that led you and your family to found Ells for Autism? 
You know, I think I've said this so many times, but I, I like to repeat myself. I always say in life, charity picks you. Um, you know, we all are raised knowing that we're very privileged for the way that we we're brought up and for having beautiful parents and a wonderful bed to sleep in. Um, and someday our chance will come to be able to pay it forward and to give back. And when we were blessed with Ben um, being on the spectrum and we started seeing the difficulties that other families around us were going through and the lack of really facilities where parents could come let their child go to school, have them partake in after school activities, have therapies in the same place. You know, there was very few places like that um, in England where we were at the time. And even in the US, few and far between where everything is under one roof. And I think that was our major driving force, mainly Ben and him being on the spectrum, but also just looking around, knowing that how much we can create and give back if if we just had all the funds for it and that was our driving force and and also a way for us to be excited when telling other people about our dream and um you know enticing them to give as well so we knew how thankful we needed to be for what we were and we wanted to make sure that other families had the same opportunities that our children have. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's again, it's very inspiring that you chose to dedicate so much of your time and resources to this cause. And I'm also, I know we're all also curious, what impact has starting the foundation made on Ben and the rest of your family? Um, it's quite interesting, you know, um, with Ernie being a professional golfer, he was taken away from us as a family, from the kids more than from me, I guess, um, when they were little, quite a lot. And to try and explain to a small child, I can remember having to drag Ben's sister, Samantha, off of Ernie's body um, to let him go to the airport when we couldn't go with, you know, there comes a time when really nothing can explain the fact that you're losing your father. So those were very trying times for us as a family. And, um, you know, when, when we started the, when, well, when we started the fundraising, the one thing that we were very much aware of is that we didn't want it to end up taking us away from our children even more. And the fact that what we were doing was to create a better world for Ben to live in made it all seem worth the time that we were spending on the fundraising and continues to do so. And then, you know, I, I always look back at our old footage, especially when someone's doing a documentary or asks for footage of the foundation. And I look at footage of me and Ernie walking Ben into the school for the first time at the center when we opened the lower school and to see the joy and on not just our faces, but the other parents and their kids, the first time they dropped off at that building, you know, that, that one makes everything worthwhile. And, and then you know that 
it's worth the time that you spend, but it also is going to benefit your own child and the growth and the pleasure that's come out of our son in the years since he's been there is just, it's, you can't, I mean, I can't even put a finger on it. It's not that all of a sudden he's writing uh, like an 18 year old should be writing or speaking like you should, but he's, every day something new is developing in him and he is super social he's gone from a shy boy that would watch from the sides to someone that is in your face unfortunately not always a good thing during COVID times but he wants to get as close as possible to you to tell you everything and to try and make you laugh so you know we've been very lucky and and we've also seen him go up to not just other children but other parents and and carers and teachers and trying to make everybody around him happy and you know we always look for what is the the first question thank you to the movie rain man that people want to know is what thing is your child extraordinary in you know and i think really to pacify all of those questions my son was put on earth to make people happy he's put in this world where sometimes kids don't want to communicate or feel insecure about communicating or fear of their unknown circumstances. Believe you me, Ben can put anybody at ease. He has no barriers and, and doesn't care who you are, how old you are, from what walk of life you came from, you're an immediate friend to him. If you can smile, you'll be his friend. So it's been, it's really been fun to watch him develop and and enjoy his surroundings there. Yeah, that's certainly great to hear that Ben's had such a positive experience. I know speaking for myself, I've been lucky enough to work with Ben on the tennis court and <laughs> I'll echo everything you said. He's an absolute joy to be around, always puts a smile on my face. And I think that all the teachers and all of his, all the people who work with him would echo that same sentiment he's always got a smile you know he he can't <laughs> wait he can't wait to get out there he loved his tennis we're very sad that he you're not there for that anymore Nate. <laughs> yeah but he, he loves it and he he's always ready to make a new friend <laughs> yes he is i miss him no he's, he's he fun. misses you too <laughs> and so my last question for you is how is the community been impacted by Els for Autism and you you can talk about not only Jupiter Florida but also some of the global outreach yes you know I I I want to say how's the how's the world been impacted by Ben more so has than the foundation but it's because of Ben that the foundation is there we have a foundation in South Africa where we do parent trainings and try and offer as much as we can for free because there are such limited services down there. Um, we have a foundation in England where we also try and support as many programs as we can identify. In Canada, we're, we have an, a, a foundation there where we give to local charities. And then of course, the center here in Florida, um, which is expanding by the day. Um, for me, something in that firstly a consequence of us coming out and talking about it was the influence that Ernie's speaking out had on other men around the world who also had children on the spectrum 
it was as if and so many of them came up to me on the golf course and you know whenever they saw us and said thank you for speaking out because I wouldn't even tell my co-workers that I had a child on the spectrum mm. and now it's so much easier to have that conversation I feel so much more confident and and it's a big it's a big deal for people even in these days and for us to be able I remember so distinctly you know in the beginning I was like oh my goodness I felt so sorry for everybody and then I was like started saying congratulations when somebody would tell me that they had a kid on the spectrum and hmm. surely the firstly diagnosed ones must think me crazy but I think as time goes on you understand what a blessing it was for us to have this boy in our lives you know he keeps our feet on the ground he entertains us and he opened the world for all of us and the second thing just in our community alone um, was the local businesses starting to employ some of our young adults and the difference and the testimonials from those businesses to us was uh, affirmation that we're doing things the right way we're going in the right direction and and we're doing something right from not you know testimonials from the businesses the people the clients the parents and our young adults themselves you know um offering them or opening doors for them that before was shut um giving people that dignity of being recognized for skills and not having a door shut in their faces before the interview was even open over um and then um lastly just to see the sponsors of ours of ernie's um out there and how they've embraced our charity and our work with young adults on the spectrum to also have these opportunities go in their companies and wanting us to teach them how to do things, how to prepare spaces for people on the spectrum, how to do interviews in a better manner so that you don't lose this amazing amazing workforce that is out there and overlooked so many times so yeah I think and as time goes by we have more and more stories like that to tell and it's just it's been a great experience for us and also in the, the more you talk about people on the spectrum the less the less fearful people are and the more they can see um, through you know maybe an, a mannerism or a tantrum that was thrown for two seconds and try and look to the real person that's hiding behind that tantrum. Absolutely. So many great points there. And I, I just want to say, I think that your influence can't be overstated. We're actually going to talk later on the show about three politicians who are open and outspoken about their autism. And, and I think that a lot of great uh, progress has been made with the openness um, and acceptance, especially for adults. And Absolutely. I'd like, I'd like to hand it over to my friend Merrick now. All right. So my first question is, how has Els for Autism grown and what does the future hold for the foundation? Oh, my goodness. It's grown in my dreams way, way faster than actually physically on the ground. But, you know, when that 26 acre is fully built up, 
I, I think we'll dream beyond that. But um, it's it's grown a lot for us from inception to now. We now have, you know, the two um, charter schools on the premises, uh, the lower and the upper school. We serve clients from as young as 18 months, as old as 64 years. Uh, which has always been a dream for me to be able to accommodate all ages. And um, I'm very proud to say that we have just yesterday um, been given the go ahead to um, start, well, not start, but to actually take action and move forward with the building of our adult services um, building that is going to be hosting our adult day training program, which we're currently running out of the existing facilities, but to have a dedicated building for our adults would be just phenomenal. So we are all very excited about that and uh, look forward to a massive big step in the growth of that program. That's pretty cool. So, um... Yeah, it's a very, very ever-changing, growing foundation, which is absolutely. always a sign of health. Yep, absolutely. You've got that right. So, in closing, we have a lot of listeners who may have a young child that was just recently diagnosed with autism. Is there any information or a message that you would like to share with them? You know, I think um, information is is a blessing and um, sometimes not so good either. Um, I remember when Ben was first diagnosed, it doesn't really come as a complete surprise because when you start asking around and going to see people, you already know that there's something happening different in this child than what the norm is or what your previous child um, went through. So, you know, they're gonna tell you something. Um, to have a label on it in the beginning to me was scary. I wanted to run away from it. I wanted to absolutely do my ostrich thing and stick my head in the sand and pretend that it was all gonna go away. But that's when knowledge is power. That's when you wanna read as much as you want. You wanna sift through everything that you can find and find the things that stick and work for you. Um, I'm all for anything that's non-invasive. No, I'm not really a believer in needles just because I myself is a pretty squeamish person. So I wouldn't wanna drill that into my child if it can be helped. Um, I would do second and third opinions if that was the suggestion. And then, um, but anything that, that you don't have to, force them to take any any form of therapy that is not going to hurt them you know try it it may not have worked for my son but it may work amazingly for yours so you know look at what's out there look at what works for your family um if if you know if if it at the end of the day to me personally i'm not talking as a doctor a physician a therapist as a mother to me there's nothing more important than family so i've always wanted to try and keep the family together as much as i can um, you're given this child some days are going to be more trying than others you're going to keep moving forward there's going to be 
small triumphs along the way. There's going to be setbacks along the way. But just if you can have the support of your family around you when you're going through all these growing pains, then there is nothing better. That, that support is, is always important. So try everything in your might to keep your family unit together. Um, spoil other siblings away from the family sometimes because they are going to see a lot of attention going to your newly diagnosed child and going to feel a little left out at times. But make a date night with that kid. Um, explain things to them always. Don't ever think or try and hide things from the siblings. They're far smarter than we give them credit for. I remember Samantha at age three looking at us giving Ben a therapy that he really did not like and was crying and, and kicking and screaming and didn't actually it was she was a little older she was probably five and um, you know just staring at the outside at, at this whole debacle of us trying to get Ben in this therapy and she just shook her head and said what are you doing? he's not happy. He doesn't want to do this. How do you think this is going to help him? And I just stared at her and quietly cried later. But I thought, she's right. I don't want to break my child's spirit. I have to find a different way, a different therapy. So, you know, sometimes tried and tested for one person isn't tried and tested for another. So never be afraid to say no, thank you. And never be afraid to try something new. Um, create or get become part of a community of other parents and ask questions there's no dumb question in life i've learned that very at a very young age so ask questions all the time and then just as time goes by enjoy your child and and just live every day it's like a secret advent calendar every day you open there there's a new surprise behind so enjoy them and celebrate them as much as you can and that's about it <laughs> thought i wouldn't get emotional on this one but clearly it wasn't going to happen <laughs> thank that's you guys that's, that's okay uh, talking to you um a little bit of a side note um how are you all gonna spend your thanksgiving oh uh, we're not gonna eat any turkey we, we are not quite there yet with our Thanksgiving, but I might do a chicken. And it's only <laughs> going to be the family. We're not going to venture anywhere. We're just going to be us at home taking it easy. That sounds great. Have a lovely time. And thanks so much for coming on to the episode again. It was Oh, it's a pleasure. And thank you to both you, Nate and Merrick. Um, we love having you as part of our foundation. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Good. So as always, it is time to go over today in the world of autism, starting with my co-host, Dr. Nate Chinock. The first story that I'd like to focus on is on the topic of a hearing test screening for autism. And this is based on work that's being done by the University of Miami and the Harvard Medical School on a new strategy for early screening of autism. 
advancing methods for early detection of autism is should be noted, it's a major goal of the Ells for Autism Foundation. And one of our recent collaborative projects with the Seaver Autism Center involved the identification of early EEG and eye tracking biomarkers of autism in high risk toddlers. For many years now, research findings have shown that hearing and other sensory systems differ in children and adults with autism from neurotypical individuals. Based on the data gathered from hearing tests in newborns, Researchers at these two schools believe they are close to the development of an early screening method for autism that involves a standard hearing test. The tests work by measuring auditory brainstem response, or ABR, which gauges how well a baby's inner ear and brain respond to sound. The test also involves computer recordings of the auditory nerve activity of infants exposed to sounds transmitted by electrodes on their scalp. The researchers for this project analyzed 140,000 auditory recordings from babies born in Florida, our home state, and matched the recordings with data records from the Florida Department of Education, which allowed them to indicate which children had developmental disabilities. So they were able to match the auditory recordings to the records for which recordings were related to individuals who later were diagnosed with a developmental disability. The researchers found that newborns later diagnosed with autism had slower brain responses to sounds during the ABR tests. And the researchers closed by explaining that they hope that pediatricians will utilize this test as a means to identify a risk for autism. We've linked the publication on this topic in our show notes for today. Merrick, what do you think about this study? What are your thoughts? Well, I will have to say that it's kind of interesting to think about this in relation to my many, many years of thinking that I have a little bit of a hard of hearing kind of characteristic. There have been many, many moments where I would have to tell people over and over again, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? And maybe part of it is auditory and maybe part of it is processing, but it's gotten sometimes to be so bad that I get very insecure when it comes to asking for people to repeat things for me. And I I don't mean it in a way to be offensive or to be insulting. It is just that for some reason, my hearing is not exactly uh, one-to-one with what someone is telling me. And I think that this study, that that the research that you're pointing out is very apropos to perhaps what it is that I've been dealing with for years because there's a definite thing about being hard of hearing. There's a definite uh, thing about, you know, being deaf. But for someone like me, maybe it's a little bit different than being hard of hearing. And it may have something to do with what uh, this research study is about. So I really thank you for bringing it up, uh, Dr. Shinnok. Of course, and thank you for your answer. That's a fascinating perspective on it. And hopefully they'll continue to advance this uh, test 
and look at its application um, look at its application further for predicting diagnosis. So on to the next story here. In honor of election day, don't worry, <laughs> we'd like to talk about a political story that is sure to be inspiring regardless of where your political views stand. Jessica Benham of Pennsylvania, Yulin New of New York, and Briscoe Kane of Texas are all state legislators for their respective states. They also are outspoken about their diagnoses of autism spectrum disorder. Notably, Jessica Benham is finishing her PhD at the University of Pittsburgh, has been married for seven years, and also founded the Pittsburgh Center for Autistic Advocacy. With all of her success, she, along with Yulene and Briscoe, are doing fantastic work to challenge traditional perceptions of autism. She's also a huge proponent and advocate of autism rights and has indicated plans to advocate for policy and research priorities that matter most to the autism community. With all this progress, not only in the political sphere, but in other areas of society, it's, it's often hard to believe that it was not until 1980 when autism was acknowledged by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM-3, this was back then, as a pervasive developmental disorder separate from schizophrenia. And it was only considered a spectrum condition when the DSM-4 was published in 1994. There's been a lot of impact um, from these shifts in the healthcare, educational, and societal perceptions of autism. There's been an impact on increased opportunities for many individuals, but there's still plenty of work left to be done. Benham plans to work on disability-specific topics, such as education funding, how the care system is run, and how Medicaid waivers work to help autistic and disabled people receive services at home. All three of these state legislators have noted their aspirations for increasing autism awareness and advocating for the needs of the community in Washington. Having this proper representation will hopefully go a long way in helping individuals with autism to feel that their voices are being heard properly when it comes to the political world. So Merrick, what is helpful about individuals with autism entering politics? I think that just like any group that enters politics, they create what I would like to call the bellwether of influence uh, to show not only to themselves, but to business leaders, to political leaders, to uh, pillars of the community that what they represent matters and that what they represent is the ability to be competent at the job or jobs that they want to do regarding their representation. It also may have to do with subjects and interpretations that many people without this uh, condition will even have any kind of revelatory inkling about. So I think that it is very interesting and it is very important that people 
who fall on the autism spectrum are interested in entering politics and are interested in showcasing that they have the skills to rise above that which many people probably mischaracterize and misjudge them as being. That's pretty cool. Definitely. And I think like in most industries, a little bit of neurodiversity could be really helpful to the political system. All right. So my first story is about the adult services building that Liesl uh, mentioned earlier. As mentioned by her, the next fundraising target for our foundation will be the adult services building. So I reached out to our current adult services director, Trudy Zayak, on the building, and this is what she had to say. As the adult services department grows and expands, there's great need for space specific to those growing needs, to these growing needs. By 2022, the adult services uh, building uh, department plans to grow by 42% of additional programs and expansion of current services. The adult services building will be home for these services as well as micro businesses and other added opportunities for the adults served by the Els for Autism Foundation. So I'd like to ask you, Dr. Shinnok, a question. Why is it essential to help individuals with autism who are old enough to be adults? Yeah, it's a great question. I think Liesl had a very eloquent statement on this topic. And my personal take is that thus far, there's been a a really major emphasis on the early years for individuals with autism or those at risk with autism, which is extremely important, don't get me wrong, but it's also really vital to take a lifespan approach when it comes to uh, an individual's development. So the goal should not be just to make sure that the child's educational and social skills are mastered as much as possible, but it should really be preparing the individual to become a successful adult. And what that means as far as employment opportunities, uh, self-sufficiency, independence, and the foundation is, un is unique. And I think more organizations are getting really good about this too, but the foundation has always had adult services as one of its hallmark features. And so the addition of this building on top of the great programs that are already going on, providing job coaching and life skills to these individuals, I think is just, uh, it's great news for the community around us and for the, you know, for the advancement of, um, of providing services for adults with autism and helping them to achieve a meaningful and enjoyable life. Definitely. Our uh, second story is in relation to one of our many uh, major programs, which is called CADI. According to the CDC's prevalence rate published this year, 
one in 54 children in the United States had a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder or ASD. While autism can be diagnosed within an individual's lifetime, it is important that the child gets a diagnosis the earlier the better. Even as early as three years can create such a difference in the development of an individual with ASD. That is why one of our flagship programs at the L Center of Excellence in Jupiter, Florida is what is called CADI or CADI, which stands for Collaborative Autism Diagnosis and Intervention Program. Ever since 2016, CADI provides services in person and via telehealth virtually slash digitally to children up to six years old with special needs. Else for Autism's CADI program serves to increase the availability of diagnostic services for families of children with red flags for ASD, provide families with parent, with parent education on the diagnosis, and introduce families to an array of services for their child offered at the ELS Center of Excellence. Generally, pediatricians and other ch early childhood professionals are the ones who often refer children to CADI following the identification of red flags for ASD related to a child's social and communication skills. Our successes are as such that the program has been funded for three years, 2018, 19, and 20, and we are hopeful to continue to receive funding for the program in 2021. Here is an excerpt from a recent CADI testimonial. I contacted ELS and its team. The whole experience with the application and evaluation process went very smoothly and was well organized. As a parent, the last thing you would like to hear is that your child has a disability, or in my case, an additional disability. However, the support that I had received from the ELS team made me confident that I can seek appropriate services for my son to access his education and have a better quality of life. The ELS staff is wonderful. They are caring, very cooperative, proactive, and helpful. So Nate, what is the importance of early intervention in children with ASD? Yeah, another great question. And I'd like to just give a quick shout out to all of our staff who works on the CADI project, Dr. Christine Hansberger especially. Uh, they do a terrific job making sure that families feel supported and that they have the resources that they need um, once uh, during that process. And so to answer your question, I don't want to contradict my previous answer, which stressed the importance of services for adults with autism, but the importance of early intervention for children with ASD, or like you alluded to, children who are showing some red flags, the importance cannot be overstated. We know that during the first few years in life, there's critical windows as far as neurodevelopment goes and as far as the development of social and cognitive skills. And so the ideal goal for pediatricians and for, for people who work in this field and, and work with um, children showing risk factors for autism is to not only be able to detect diagnosis at a very early uh, time point, but also then to be able to introduce early intervention during this critical window when it can have a really profound impact 
on the development of the child and on their later outcomes. There's children who I've met, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Merrick, who did receive um, early intervention or, or educational intervention at a young age and who, um, you know, they have parents who come forward and say that they, they can't believe, um, you know, the person that their child ended up being. So it's important to think about the big picture and, and how, uh, and the magnitude that early intervention can, can have on eventually how your, the child or the individual with autism will look as a, an adolescent and as an adult. All right. So before we go, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners. And because of that, we will be seeing you again in December with some more coverage on us and the autistic community in general. Ready, Nate? Yes. One, two, three, four. I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. A moth is a butterfly without any colors, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well, I'm just a caterpillar crawling around. Knowledge in my head, but my feet on the ground. Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky, like a butterfly. I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. Like a bird, I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours You can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind In the future your eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor cat pup Will grow up and take to the sky Like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly so high Oh like a butterfly I'll fly into the air so high, just like a butterfly. You'll be surprised at just what I can do. If you nurture me and you see me through. From a higher point of view We'll fly together, me and you Well now I can fly so high Cause I'm a butterfly I'm flying through the air 
so high Oh, I'm a butterfly I'm a butterfly